I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common. Go head-to-head to see which one does it better on this week's episode in the red corner. If Ghost Elvis told you to do something, would you? Clarence Worley would and does, which is how we end up on a cross-country road trip with a suitcase of stolen cocaine, meeting one of the great casts of the 90s, reading one of the best scripts of the 90s. But does it hold up today? From 1993, it's true romance. Hello, baby! Clarence? I'm a married man, buddy. A con man. Ask him if he got the letter. Did you get the letter? What letter? They don't talk to you. No, Tom, we gotta go. A call girl. You call for a day? Huh? I'm out of She a four-alarm fire or what? She seems very nice. What are you doing in L.A. huh? And a suitcase full of trouble. My name is Vincent Cocotti. I work as consul for Mr. Blue Lou Boyle, the man your son stole from. While in the blue corner, if you thought the body count was high in true romance, to quote a one Mickey Knox, you ain't seen nothing yet. A psychedelic road trip of murder and mayhem. It was the film everyone was talking about at the time, but fast forward 26 years, and does it still pack a punch from 1994 or 1995 in the UK? It's Natural Born Killers. Platoon. Wall Street. Born on the 4th of July. JFK. Oliver Stone's vision has changed the way we saw our past. Now he takes a look at where we are and where we're going. And you'll be shocked at what he sees. So what connects these two films and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release 
the Kraken. Hello, Clash Butters. Hi, how are you? My name's Alex Zane and I'm with the Cub Scouts of America. We're selling uncut cocaine to get to the Jamboree. I'm Chris Tilly. <laughs> Hello, Chris. Hi, Al. Hi. Uh, so, Victoria is off this week. So, you've just got he and me on this week's Clash as we talk about a couple's carnage. You looking forward to this? Yes and no. Oh, all right. <laughs> Do you want to expand? Well, Natural Born Killers is quite a tough watch. <laughs> yeah, it is. Mm, so I had some trepidation going into it. I thought mm. it's a film I'd never watch again in my life, but... Okay. I feel weird that Victoria's not here. I find it... I always find it strange. I'm just going to come out and say this. I'm just going to get this off my chest at the start of the show. I find it strange when someone else picks the movies and then doesn't turn up for the show. I think if we're ever doing a show without one person, the people in the room have to pick the movies. Yeah, okay. I'm with you on that. Okay, it was a conversation for off-air. Granted. Yeah, of course. But, you know, I think we run an honest ship here and every Clash Podder should know exactly what's going on in our slash my head. (laughs) So these are uh, Victoria's choices. And I think she is going to be absolutely furious that she missed them because they are genuinely, for the first time in a long time, her actual choices. Like, she picked these herself. No one lent on her. No one said there's an anniversary coming up. This was... She just picked these two movies. Mm. Didn't, didn't she say Natural Born... Didn't she say True Romance and Californication first? And I said, why don't you do Natural Born Killers? First of all, not the David Duchovny sitcom, but California, <laughs> the David Duchovny movie. <laughs> that would be an odd pairing. Sorry. But yeah, okay. So maybe maybe she was lent on. <laughs> uh, well, there you go. Some things <laughs> never change. Uh, the clue she gave at the end of last week's show uh, was uh, the course of true love never did run smooth. You added to that on Twitter, Chris, at ClashPod, with the open road inspired both these movies. I've only got a couple of guesses that I want to talk about because they're both pairings that I want to do in the future. Okay, do it. Uh, One came in from Paul Jordan. Hello, Paul Jordan. Uh, He said, I'd like to do road trip versus Euro trip. Or at least that was his guess for this. I'm saying I'd like to do road trip versus Euro trip. Yes, I'm, I'm down for that. Euro trip is so much fun. So much fun. Yeah, Matt Damon. That's the Matt Damon one. That's the Matt Damon one. That's the Matt Damon one and the Vinnie Jones one. Yeah. And the Miscoozy, Miscoozy. It's great. That's a good suggestion, Paul Jordan. Uh, And also, obviously, this one I was going to mention, Scott Anson says, Smokey and the Bandit versus Cannibal Run. Yeah. We have discussed. We have discussed potentially doing that. We'll do it on your birthday week. All right. Just to see it in text on a computer screen it validates it it makes it real Mm. so i'm excited about that uh either one of those for the future uh but the winner is uh oh very quickly uh, scott ianson also did uh, send uh, a text about uh, a a tweet jesus i'm starting to get old a tweet about uh, commando i remember when i was going on about arnie and commando going amphibian plane mm-hmm. instead of amphibious plane yep. he says it's not Arnie's fault uh, Cindy at one point in the movie also says here's a photo of an amphibian plane so it's not all Arnie's fault and I should in his words let off some steam Zane <laughs> so thanks for that uh, the winner then uh, is Chris Johnson who got true romance and natural born killers and you know why this is great news Chris because there was only one right answer yeah I'm pleased with that what does that mean um, it means my clues were good. Yeah, our clues were good because yeah. um, it was very specific. The open road clue. If you if you realise quite how specific that was, go on. You would get it. It's a, it's the name of the Roger Avery script 
that both Turomance and Natural Born Killers came out of. They were birthed from that script. So it did inspire them. It's not the literal, it's the metaphorical as well. That's so good. That's even better. That is even better than your Matthew McConaughey line from True Detective Clue, which I didn't get, but in (laughs) hindsight, I should have done. Right then, connections uh, for these films. You got some? There's a few. Yep. um, Sizemore. Totally. Tom Sizemore is in both of them. In an article about the making of True Romance, he said, I was in True Romance and Natural Born Killers, that's why I went to prison. (laughs) Uh, That's not entirely true, is it, Tom Sizemore? You went to prison for using a prosthetic penis to fake a court-ordered drug test. (laughs) Did he? Yeah, it was called The Wizenator. (laughs) I think maybe, though, he plays, honestly, he plays such a horrible character in Natural Born Killers, I just wonder how deep he went and whether that sort of transcended the film and ended up in his real life. I wonder what that, whether that's what he's saying. Yeah, I mean, well, no, he, yeah, he did some horrible things in real life. Mm. So. Yeah. Uh, anything else? Uh, Charles Whitman. Oh, you got it. Yeah, good one. Quite a horrible story. But yeah, Charles, uh, Charles Whitman was a, a sniper in Texas in the 1960s. He went on a killing spree in Austin from a tower, a tower in the middle of the city. Mm. And yeah, it's a really horrible story. So don't go reading it. Yeah, I read it. Uh, so mm. allow me. 1966, 15 people were killed. Gandolfini mentions it when he's talking about how difficult your first kill is in True Romance. And then again, Tom Sizemore's character, Jack Scagnetti, talks about it as his mum was murdered by him, as far as the script would say in Natural Born Killers. All right, any more? Uh, films where they say the title in the movie. Yeah. You always like that. I like that. I like that. That's all I've got. All right, uh, on top of that, I've got both couples are obsessed with TV. Yep. Mickey and Mallory, obviously, are doing it all for the publicity and the fame that comes with TV. And also, he bloody loves watching TV. Loves to watch TV, Mm -hmm. does Mickey. And so does uh, Alabama Mm. and uh, Clarence, because they're like, let's go on holiday and see what TV in other countries is like. So that's one. And then the only one I've got in here, you're going to like this. Mm. I'm just throwing the rule book out. We've never had this before. We've never had a connection like this before. The connection I've gone for between true romance and natural born killers is true romance. And that is because, and you kind of touched on this already, the characters Mickey and Mallory were in the original script for true romance. There were fantasy sequences because Clarence was going to be a wannabe screenwriter like Quentin Tarantino. And Tarantino himself says in the original script, Clarence wanted to be in the movies. He wanted to be a screenwriter like me. And he had a 500-page magnum opus uh, in uh, his bag. And the script he's writing is Natural Born Killers. And you'd have Clarence and Alabama doing things, and then he'd cut to these fantasy versions of Mickey and Mallory from the script doing things. And the reason he didn't put them in, which is quite interesting, is he said, Themat- thematically, I loved it, uh, but I all I needed to take them out because they started to be the best scenes. And I'd go, if Mickey and Mallory are that interesting, maybe they deserve their own movie. So we got Natural Born Killers. So what a connection. Classic. <laughs> right then, should we do this? Yeah. Uh, is, it, is it White Boy Day on the podcast? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it is, <laughs> by default, yeah. 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 Okay. Um, Sorry, I didn't mean to throw you there. <laughs> it's all right. No, it's fine. Uh, so you uh, were given Natural Born Killers. I was given True Romance. We do it chronologically, which is mine. I'm going to start. Here is an explanation of what happens in Natural uh, True Romance. Clarence Worley meets Alabama Whitman. A call girl, not a whore. There's a difference. I'm not a theatre checker. <laughs> call girl. You're a whore? 
No, I'm a cop girl and there's a difference, you know. And they fall in love. Ghost Elvis then tells Clarence that he needs to murder her pimp Drexel, which he does, and in the process steals a suitcase full of a lot of cocaine. Killing's a hard part. Getting away with it, it's easy. You think a cop gives a fuck about a pimp? Then begins a road trip to LA as the pair attempt to sell the stuff and live happily ever after, which they do. 99% of the other people in the movie don't, however, as they die horribly. The end. For your consideration, true romance. All that stands between them and their wildest dreams. Find out who this winging a prayer artist is and take him off at the neck. Are 60 cops. 40 agents. He's a wild man, this kid Clarence. I like him. 30 mobsters. I haven't killed anybody since 1984. And a few thousand bullets. We're all gonna die here. These are cops. Put them down. Christian Slater, Patricia Arquette, Dennis Hopper, Val Kilmer, Gary Oldman, Brad Pitt, Christopher Walken. Slow it down, man. In a Tony Scott film. I think what you did, what you did Not since Barney and Clyde have two people been so good at being bad. True Romance. When did you see it? Um, you know what? I have a very vivid memory of seeing the trailer to this. Okay. I was on holiday in America at the cinema and I was excited that it was a Quentin Tarantino film because I'd seen and loved Reservoir Dogs. And I remember thinking it was the noisiest, ugliest trailer I thought I'd ever seen. Okay. And it made me really not want to see the film. And then two years later, I saw the film on video and loved it. You loved it the first time you yes, saw it? Yes, I did. Yeah. So did I. Yeah, I, was, I, I, I don't know when I watched it, but I watched it in the early 90s and I loved it. I watched it once since then and I loved it. And I remember a lot of people in my life have claimed this is their favourite film. Mm. Um, and then I watched it this time. And it is still an incredible film, no denying. But for the first time, and I, I, we touch on this sometimes on the pod, and I'm not going to do a whole lot about it because there's a whole conversation to be had about this subject for a lot of films. But for the first time watching it, there were scenes that were uncomfortable. Uh, I 100% agree. Because watching this through the 2020 lens, and this was 1993, you just suddenly, you're like, I don't remember that scene being mm. quite so abrasive in its use of language. Yeah. Right. I mean, obviously, there's the, the Walken and Hopper scene, which is obviously like regarded as one of the finest scenes in the movie. And I remember looking forward to the scene when I watched this time and I, I'd forgotten or I just hadn't realised. And that is that is fascinating in itself. The fact that clearly the world has changed so much that now things that were acceptable then are obviously not acceptable now. But saying that, because that is a separate conversation, it's still a fucking great film. Right. Uh... Where do you put it on your Tarantino scripts? I know we're doing full Tarantino movies earlier, but this is in my top three Tarantino scripts of all time. Does, mm. it, make, does it hit your top three? Top five. Top five? Okay. We're not including scripts when we go through Tarantino movies later. No. Okay, fine, fine, fine. fine, fine. Let's pull the surprise. All right, sorry. 
were not going through Tarantino <laughs> films later and rating them in order of how much we love them to see whether we have a fight. Uh, all right, a little bit of backstory to True Romance. It started life, Chris has already mentioned this, around 1988 when Tarantino was working in the video store Video Archives on Manhattan Beach in LA and his friend and colleague and occasional collaborator Roger Avery gave him a 500-page script Vicky would be spitting blood <laughs> right now, titled The Open Road, which he was struggling with. Uh, Avery says of that, it was an early screenplay of mine about an odd couple relationship between an uptight businessman and an out-of-control hitchhiker who travelled to a hellish Midwestern town together. Quentin asked me if he can finish it. A year later, it does not resemble my original story in the slightest. He has, in fact, transformed it into something much more brilliant that will eventually become the bits and pieces that make up the foundations of true romance, natural born killers and pulp fiction. So that was uh, 88. The script gathers dust for a bit. And then in 1991, Tarantino manages to get onto the set of The Last Boy Scout because his friend worked on the movies and assistant. And Tarantino is in love with Tony Scott. He sees him as someone who struggled in Hollywood when he arrived himself. And he also loves his movies. And so Tarantino, as you'd imagine, being Tarantino, manages to get in front of Tony Scott and give him the script to True Romance and Reservoir Dogs. And Tony Scott decides, I'm going to read these. He says, I'm not a great reader, uh, but I got on a flight to Europe and read both of them. And by the time the plane landed, I realised that I wanted to make them both into movies. And when I told Quentin this, he said, you can only have one. Uh, So Tarantino uh, got... $50,000 $50,000 for True Romance, uh, which he then used to make Reservoir Dogs, which ended up coming out earlier. And uh, interestingly, uh, Scott did use him on another movie. Do you know what movie he used uh, Quentin Tarantino to script polish? Would it be Crimson Tide? It would be Crimson Tide. Would you like to hear a scene <laughs> in Crimson Tide that within about 20 seconds of the scene starting, you'll go, oh, did, uh, did Tarantino perhaps have a hand in that scene? Because it's kind of Tarantino-ish. Rivetti, what's up? I'm sorry, sir. It's just a difference of opinion that got out of hand. What about? It's really too silly to talk about, sir. I'd rather just forget about... I don't give a damn about what you'd rather forget about. Why were you two fighting? Well, I said that the Kirby Silver Surfer was the only real Silver Surfer. <laughs> and that the Mobius Silver Surfer was shit. And Benefield's a big Mobius fan. And things got out of hand. I pushed him, he pushed me. I lost my head, sir. I'm sorry. Rivetti, you're a supervisor. You can get a commission like that. I know it, sir. You're 100% right. It's never happened again. It right? better not happen again. I see this kind of nonsense. I'm going to write you up. You understand? Do you understand? Yes, sir. You have to set an example, leaving in the face of stupidity. Now, everybody that reads comic books knows that Kirby Silver Surfer <laughs> is the only true Silver Surfer. Now, am I right or wrong? You're right, sir. Right. <laughs> Quentin, can you come in for a day and just do your thing? Do that thing you do. Um, I, 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 what are you talking about? Quentin, what are you talking about? We, we thought you were right. You're talking about the Silver Surfer. That'll do. Write that down. I, I know the, the, the Natural Born Killers script is, is vastly different to what he wrote in the first place. But yeah. I did find watching these films back to back, it can be a bit exhausting. Tarantino writes the most fun, exciting dialogue, mm. but everyone is speaking with his voice pretty much. So many of the characters are speaking with the same voice that I found it quite exhausting after four hours of it. Yeah, I sort of see what you mean. I think it's... Uh, it's more in this film. Yeah, I think it's... Uh, it depends. I think when you assemble a cast like you've got in True Romance, because they are so iconic in their style of delivering, like, you know, because granted, 
uh, yeah, Hopper and Walken are both delivering similar kind of sparky dialogue, but there's, it's Walken and Hopper who are so disparate on the scale of how they deliver stuff. You're like, it doesn't, it doesn't register to me. Yeah. Um, so suddenly, because Reservoir Dogs has come out and, and it's like established Tarantino as the hot shit in Hollywood, and this is before True Romance uh, has been made. So they're casting True Romance, and after Reservoir Dogs, every big star wants to be in this movie. And so it's Val Kilmer, uh, who obviously worked on Top Gun with Tony Scott. He's like, I want the role of Clarence. But it, Scott decided to go with Christine Slater because of a movie that we've talked about on the show, Heathers. Uh, he loved him in that. Uh, although they disagreed initially about Clarence until Scott said, go away and watch Taxi Driver. Um, I, I'm presuming Christine Slater had seen Taxi Driver, maybe just needed a refresher course because Scott wanted that kind of Travis Bickle craziness. Mm in that role. And when we get into talking about the movie, I'd kind of forgotten how fucking nuts Clarence is. Yes. And in, in fact, watching it this time, he's scarier, especially at the start of the movie, than I remember him being. It reminds me of Ryan Gosling a little bit in Drive, where you kind of remember him as being heroic. Mm. And then when you watch the film, when you reacquaint yourself with the film, you're like, no, he's just a psychopath, but <laughs> yeah. he's helping a woman. Yeah. So we, he's heroic to us, but He's no. This is a this is a bad dude. And also, I remember this movie as them being really reactive to stuff. Like a lot of bad shit happens to them, and they're like, "Fuck!" And really, they're proactive in creating all this mayhem, mm. and then like it, they're dealing with what they've caused or what he's caused, really. But we'll get on to that. Uh, so, loads of people wanted to be in it. Um, Brad Pitt was like, "I want to be in it. Uh, I want to play Floyd." And Scott, uh, Tony Scott was like, yep, you can be Floyd and you can improvise if you want. And Pitt did. Uh, we've got Oldman in there. He was cast in it after Scott met him for lunch at the Four Seasons. He was like, I, the plot's too complicated. I can't tell you that, Gary, but I want you to play a white man who thinks he's a Rastafarian. And Oldman said yes immediately uh, and uh, was so excited about the role that he even invited his 70-year-old mother to watch his death scene on set. Uh, it was actually the casting of the role of Alabama that was a little bit more difficult because Tony Scott really wanted Drew Barrymore. Uh, she was on another movie. He wasn't sure about Patricia Arquette until uh, she turned up and he saw the effect that she had on Christian Slater, which apparently from the minute they met, Christian Slater fell in love with her chemistry. He was like, cool. Let's do this. And so uh, that's pretty much it uh, for the casting. Mm, I'll just say that in an, if Quentin Tarantino had directed this, which I kind of wish he had. Really? Um, his Clarence would have been Robert Carradine of Revenge of the Nerds fame. Okay. Uh, because in his head, he was slightly geekier than Christian Slater. Wasn't quite as cool as Christian Slater. More like him, I think, to be honest. More like well, that's, Quentin. That's nice, actually, because obviously this is the most autobiographical yes. role. He's just a cipher, basically, yeah. for, for QT. And his Alabama would have been Joan Cusack. Really? Yep. That's really interesting. Mm. That is really interesting. But I'm thinking maybe Joan Cusack more from Adam's Family Values. I think that's the one he's thinking of. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, what have we got here, then? We've got the fact that um, the original script, as well, was a lot more like Pulp Fiction in its structure. Uh, it jumped about. It started where it starts in the movie, but then it cuts to Dennis Hopper uh, and them arriving at Dennis Hopper, and then it cuts back to show that Drexel's dead. And apparently, um, Tony Scott sort of went to town on this to the nth degree and like ripped up the structure so much and tried to do what Quentin was doing 
times a billion and lost his mind and just sort of went, no, 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 just going to do it chronologically. And Tarantino says, apparently there's this, there's this really metaphysical avant-garde cut of true romance floating around out there somewhere. And the other big thing that we all know uh, that Scott did uh, was change the ending. Because in Quentin Tarantino's original ending, Clarence dies. And uh, I have this weird memory of thinking there was an ending that was filmed where that happens, but I was wrong. But as a kid, I'm sure, I think maybe someone just told me, like, oh, there's an ending where he dies, and I just assumed that there was a version of the film where that happened, but I don't think there is. Uh, one other interesting thing, I think, about um, when they were turning Roger Avery's uh, open road into True Romance, Natural Killers, Pulp Fiction, Roger Avery says that he wrote a couple of scenes for True Romance that ended up in Pulp Fiction. He says of the scenes I specifically wrote... Um, that found their way into Pulp Fiction uh, were the bullets mystically not hitting their targets. Uh, that originally happens to Drexel. And the gun going off in the car, again, that happens with Drexel in this early version. So he claims both of them. I've got on both the show, on both this week's shows, I've got quite a lot of Roger Avery quotes because he's quite bitter and angry about the stuff that Quentin Tarantino has taken as his own that Avery believes he came up with. Yeah, he doesn't get any credit on this, does he? Uh, he, well, he I saw he's he, he, he's he doesn't, and he's in, he thinks he should have got some credit. Yeah, I found it weird when I read that about like giving him this five hundred page script and then not getting a credit at all. And you know, those quotes I had from him, I guess, were closer to the time when he was like, "Quentin just did this amazing thing with my script; it's unrecognizable." And now he's like, <laughs> "When I said unrecognizable, I mean, I didn't mean it totally. I was just I was bigging up because I thought we'd be." Friends forever. <laughs> uh, on on the next show, I'm going to talk about why they fell out as well because that's quite fun. Okay, okay, good. Um, and that's pretty much it. There's a few more bits and pieces. Uh, we'll find out as we go through the film. Are you ready to go through the film? Yeah. Did you read the Maxim article about uh, the making of True Romance? I read some interesting uh, bits from it about uh, Patricia Arquette and what she had to say. Mm. I'll link to it, but I've got some good quotes. I was wondered, I wonder, because it's really interesting. That's not dated well, to be honest, some of the quotes in that article from about 12 years ago. Is Maxim still going? I don't think so. I worked there briefly. Did you really? Yeah, in another life. Wow. Yeah. Oh, the 90s. <laughs> the 90s. Maxim, Loaded, FHM, all nuzzling up together on your newsagent shelf. Enticing a young teenage boy. <laughs> Great days. They weren't really, were they? So, uh, let's do the film. I'm gonna, I've am gonna. i sort of taken a leaf out of your book, actually, Christopher. I don't know if you'll like this or not. I've semi-divided it up into sections. Oh, thank God. It's only taken a year and a couple mm. of months, eh? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know... I'm structure. A, I'm, I'm, I'm all about the structure. I'm a slow learner, but when <laughs> I get there, I do it better than you. So you should have uh, enjoyed your uh, the halcyon days of when you were the only person doing structure, because right now... Poof, uh, I did get a bit bored about dividing it up into structure. It sort of starts structured and then goes down the pan. Anyway, here we go. Uh, So I'm going to start off. My first section is called Meet the Whirlies. Uh, So we meet Christian Slater as Clarence Whirly. And as we touched on, this is as close to Tarantino has got to writing an autobiographical character uh, like Quentin. Uh, Clarence is so obsessed with Elvis. Uh... He wears the same things as Quentin was wearing at the time. Um, he Quentin himself says that watching True Romance is like watching a home movie from a certain period in his, uh, in his life when he worked at Video Archives, which obviously in the film is substituted for the comic book store Heroes for Sale. Uh, Clarence's boss, 
in the movies called Lance and Quentin Tarantino's old boss was called Lance Lawson at Video Archives. And apparently he did go to the movies uh, on his birthday every year. That was what he enjoyed doing. Uh, I don't know whether it was a Sonny Chiba triple bill, uh, but we do see Clarence go to a Sonny Chiba triple bill in this, uh, which I guess must be kind of nice for Quentin Tarantino, writing True Romance and writing a Sonny Chiba triple bill to then be able to go, hi, Sonny, it's Quentin Tarantino. I want you in Kill Bill. Yeah. Because obviously he plays... Hattori Hanzo, the guy who makes the bride her sword in that film. Uh, then we meet Alabama Whitman, soon to be Alabama Worley, played by Patricia Arquette. Uh, they meet in a cinema, and from the get-go, you are invested in this couple. What do you think of their chemistry? It's kind of incredible, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's off the charts. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. So, like, Tony Scott was completely right. When he saw the effects she had on him, it's just... I think specifically at this point in the film, before the nuts plot gets going and everything is thrown in. Just when you see them hanging out, especially in the pie shop, you get, it just, it gives you everything you need to be invested in this couple. Is she a manic pixie dream girl? Oh, I don't know. Vicky, is she? Well, (laughs) I thought because Vicky wasn't here, we'd just be able to go, no. No, we like her. No, she is a complete (laughs) well-rounded, well-written character. Slightly racist. Um, She, uh, so Tarantino said he didn't have a girlfriend until he was 25. Mm. And he wrote this before he ever had a girlfriend. And so he wrote The Perfect Woman for Quentin Tarantino. Mm. And she's not particularly believable, I don't think. (laughs) Uh, But... She is, you know, that. Well, she's getting turned on by him talking about Spider-Man storylines. <laughs> in my experience, that doesn't work. Yeah, but the thing is, this movie does sort of slip into magical realism at sure. times, so it can be viewed as a fairy tale. And if we're viewing it through that lens, you know, if if we're saying Ghost Elvis is real and not a figment of Clarence's imagination, then this is sort of like a fantasy. So, I mean, is that is everything uh, in this movie in Clarence's head? Because it's everything goes a bit too perfect. All the way through, the the gangsters are like gangsters from movies. His car, his the woman. It's just it feels like this could all be. Or it was written by Quentin Tarantino, <laughs> aged uh, whatever he, how old he was uh, before he had a girlfriend. Which is you know, yeah. I uh, I certainly think um, the scene where they're in the pie shop, which I really liked, because he starts doing the bit, uh, the Elvis spiel that he's doing at the start with the woman from the Crow. Remember, she's the mm-hmm. woman from The Crow who's oh, in the bar yeah. at the start, yeah. Uh, she does a nice line in uh, in hard-drinking women. <laughs> <Yes>. And he's uh, he, he starts to do the whole, like, rockabilly Elvis Presley dissection thing again, and then he stops himself and goes, no, tell me about you, which is oh. clearly a sign that he really bloody loves her. He really loves her. Uh, she is slightly racist uh, because one of her turn-offs is Persians. Mm. But... And this is from the Maxim article. Did you pick up on this one? Mm-hmm. It's where she says, uh, my agent told me, it, it's basically the idea that of all the people who were falling over themselves to be in this movie, uh, Patricia Arquette sounds like one of the people who wasn't totally bowled over by this script compared to a lot of people. Uh, granted, a lot of the other people who were bowled over were men, and she isn't. So she said, my agent told me about the script for a Tony Scott movie. Uh, there was a lot I liked about it, but what I didn't like was when Alabama was sort of racist. By now, we've all gotten used to Quentin's tone, but at the time, I was somewhat shocked by it. I was asking myself, what is this? Whoa. I don't know if the line about being turned off by Persians was in the script. 
Uh, so every time we shot that scene, I would say a different ethnic group. I wanted to be equally offensive to all people. She basically just said, by now we've gotten used to Quentin's casual racism. <laughs> <laughs> but in 1993, it was so new. Yeah. But I think there's something sweet about just doing everyone. Yeah. I, I, I'm being turned off by this person, this person. I mean, she must have known only one would make it in. So it was always going to be the same <laughs> result, whoever she said. Uh Interesting. Reservoir Dogs, another, you know, the Quentin verse. Mm. Uh, Mr. White mentions a girl called Alabama in that. Uh, one other bit about this scene. It's pure wish fulfillment. Like the bit where he climbs out and they have a cigarette together on the billboard in L.A. That's like there's something so fundamentally fairy tale and cool like about that. It reminds me of, do you know what? It reminds me of the scene in Monster Squad where he climbs mm. onto the roof of the house to, and he can see the drive-in theatre from him, his roof. I like One that. day, Alex, I'm going to take you on a roof and we'll sit together <laughs> and do something. <laughs> I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> oh. So, they fall in love. We get a brilliant moment, which I had to rewind twice and then I had to do a little bit of research to fully understand <laughs> because uh, I don't have the classical education you have, Chris. Uh, did you... Uh, Pick up on, you know, uh, when she's going, she's going, he, she's like, did you know that I was a call girl? And he says, you know, I knew that something must be rotten in Denmark. And I was like, you what now? What the fuck's that? What, you don't know that one. Oh, no, I don't know. Don't. I'm a big H don't, fan. Don't shame me just because I don't know fucking Hamlet. I know <laughs> other things. If it was a quote from Midsummer Night's Dream, I'd be all over that. I like that one. It's really easy to read. <laughs> yeah. No, quote from Hamlet. Yeah, which is kind of weird. Uh, they say it again at the end. Uh, Chris um, Chris Penn's character also says uh, uh, the line, uh, we knew that something must be rotten in Denmark. The actual line from Hamlet is something is rotten in the state of Denmark. Uh, there's not a lot in this. Someone once uh, hypothesised in the LA Times uh, that uh, this movie was an ingenious variation on Hamlet uh, and Denmark represented America's criminal underbelly. Uh, no. Sort of the idea that... The ghost of the king in Hamlet mm -hmm. is like the ghost of the king, Elvis Presley. Mm -hmm. I think that's where the similarity yeah, is. Yeah, it is. Totally is. It's reaching. Right, section two, I'm calling Drexel Spivvy. Uh, Good night. We meet Drexel, played by Gary Oldman, uh, discussing uh, with Samuel L. Jackson, among others, uh, if there is shame in Cunnilingus. Uh, and eating butt. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Uh, any opinion on it? Do you find uh, Cunnilingus shameful? <laughs> no. No? I, uh, I I also think this scene is completely unnecessary, actually. Uh, I mean, it no, would mean we wouldn't not. see Samuel L. Jackson, but I think Drexel, it's it's there to set up Drexel as a very frightening character. And it does. But he's, I think he's he's just as strong a character in the scene with Clarence for the first time. I think he's terrifying sitting there. But you want to see him murder someone, don't you? you want He kills. Like, it's It's... It's I don't have shocking... to see someone do it to know that they're capable of it. And I just didn't... I don't think this scene's necessary, that's all. Oh, man. But we can agree to disagree. Yeah, I know we can. And there's only two of us here, so <laughs> it's going to get very awkward very quickly if we just carry on like this. But no, come on. It's the shock factor. Like, we, mm. like it's so shocking. It's like, it's awful. Because they're being so nice. Mm. And that juxtaposition of being like, hey, hey, oh, kind of lingers. <laughs> I loved it. Um... But I do have a question off the back of it. This is the this is the first, this is the bit where it sort of I, I I'd forgotten this because Clarence up until this point has been this sweet little geek 
like, sure, he tosses the word fag around uh, in a fairly ugly manner. But, you know, again, Quentin Tarantino, the early 90s. But aside from that, his character has been built on watching movies on his own and, like, you know, being quite naive. Not naive, I guess, but, you know, there's an innocence about him, a geekiness, Mm -hmm. uh, very lovable. And then suddenly what we get is a guy who cannot deal with the jealousy that Gary Oldman, Drexel, was her pimp. Not that they slept together mm. or anything. And you have, you have Ghost Elvis there, Val Kilmer, basically going, going, can you let him breathe the same air as you? Can you walk around with that guy breathing the same air? And Clarence can't. And you, I, this is like a real sharp right for his character. Yeah, and I think the film alludes to the fact that he's been very affected by all the movies he's watched. Obviously, that's much more in Natural Born Killers, but I think it's the key comes when um, the key line is when Drexel's talking to him and says, "Oh, you think you're Charlie Bronson? You think you're Mister Majestic?" Which is a Charles Bronson film, and I think he does. I think he he thinks he's these characters that he's, you know, he spent his whole life watching. Yeah, it's kind of bad though, <laughs> because not only does he do that, because. At this point, Alabama has said to him, I will never lie to you again after she reveals she's a call girl, Mm. not a whore. And you sort of imagine that's going to be reciprocated, although he doesn't go, I will never lie to you either. You sort of go, if she's saying that, it's kind of a mutual thing. It's like, Mm. I will never lie to you again. And he's like, well, I haven't lied to you, so I'll just continue not lying right up until I go, I'm just going to go pick up your stuff from Drexel's, just Mm. your stuff. I'm not there to kill him. And you're like, this is kind of bad because he's lying to the woman who he's head over heels in love with. It's a little chink in their relationship. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It doesn't sit well with me. Um, And then he he goes off uh, to what looks like a hell of a night out. (laughs) Tell me you didn't go, "Mm, yeah, I could hang out at Drexel's weird brothel house party. It made me want to be a drug dealer, definitely. (laughs) I don't even I don't even need to deal drugs. I just want to I want to hang out in a place that it was well lit, you know, for it, it, it like had a cool vibe and you get to you get to sit around eating Chinese, Chinese takeaway yep. watching Richard Pryor movies. <laughs> I honestly I I I struggled with finding something. I mean, obviously there's a lot of sex workers, but you know, I've been to a couple of parties at your house now. It did remind me. <laughs> it was a, there's a similar vibe. I'm thinking of doing a Halloween theme party that is Drexel's brothel. <laughs> I think it'd be great. Uh, so anyway, uh, he kills him. He kills Drexel. It's a fucking brilliant scene. I absolutely love this scene. This is what this is the first time in the movie which I was loving already. Uh, that I was like on the edge of my seat, the bit where they're tossing the light back and forth, mm. and the, uh, the 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 establishing shot of the place is really Tony Scott. It looks so cool. Yeah, but at the same time, like this is, I said that I would prefer it if maybe Quentin Tarantino had directed this. And I do find sometimes um, Tony Scott's action quite hard to watch. I find it quite ugly and inelegant. Like when they have the fight, mm. it's kind of hard to really make out what's going on, and the angles are a bit strange and. I'm just not a huge fan of the way he shoots scenes sometimes, and and that's a prime example. Mm. But we again, let's disagree. Yeah. I'm I'm down no, with that. I'm, I'm, I know I'm in a minority when it comes to I'm just absorbing it. When I make those noises, like mm, I'm not looking for a reason to disagree. I'm I, in many ways, I'm just trying to absorb your opinion and sort of decide then whether I go actually no, shut up, Chris. Mm-hmm. But actually, in this case, that's fine. We can agree to disagree. I think sometimes Tony Scott's a brilliant action director. I think sometimes he isn't. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, look at something like Man on Fire, and there are goosebumps moments in mm. that movie with the action. But then, like, you know, I know it gets so much love, but Top Gun, I'm like, pfft, I don't get it. I don't get it either. Really? We need to do Top Gun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've kind of let the cat out of the bag. But yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, there we go. Uh, that is Gary Oldman. He ends up dead. Uh, but they do end up with a suitcase of cocaine. And uh, two things. First of all, this is the point that I'd forgotten where they, they, everyone that dies, dies because they've stolen this cocaine and decide to keep it and sell it. And also, this is the most Mickey and Mallory that they are as a couple in this film. This is the most psychotic they are because after she finds out that he's not only killed Drexel, but he's clearly enjoyed it. Like food tastes so much better for the first time. He's eating that burger and he's like, I've never had a burger that tastes so good. And she's all like, what did you do? And then she's crying. And then she goes, she goes, I think what you did is so romantic. And she enables him. And you're like, this is very close to natural born killers. Mm. Very close. Um, All right. We'll pick up the pace now, right after this break. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool, cool. So welcome back. Uh, Hopper days is where we are now. This is my next section, Hopper days. Love Dennis Hopper in this movie. Very little to say here other than he's so fucking likable. He's insanely brilliant. He's so tolerant of Clarence. I love him. I want to hug him. It's so unusual to find Hopper in such a lovable role and shows what a great actor he is. Yeah, he always plays scary characters. Mm. He, he, by all accounts, was quite a scary guy in real life. And he just exudes warmth, warmth and decency. Totally. Totally. Uh, and it's, it, the film needs it as well, because thus far, I mean, you've got this love story, but it's been a pretty nasty film up until this point. So it's just nice to see... Yeah. Um this the relationship between father and son. You you just you you learn so much about them with so little dialogue mm. and action and it's it's his acting. And if you have a Hopper who is wise and lovable, uh, you also get introduced uh, to uh, Michael Rappaport's character around this point who is Dick Ritchie and he is lovable but not wise. <laughs> he is naive. We see him in an audition uh with uh, 
Berta from Two and a Half Men, uh, who is uh, the woman in the casting audition. And it's he's great in it. It's perfect clowning, driving that car, auditioning for a role in TJ Hooker. Uh, but uh, we're soon into Clarence pissing off to LA with his suitcase full of cocaine, leaving dad behind, thinking that's great. Everything's sorted. No one's after us. That ain't true because Christopher Walken turns up in a section I'm calling Enter the Walken. Uh, <laughs> Enter the Antichrist. <laughs> um, so this is the famous scene from the movie. I was looking forward to watching it again. As I said at the start, very jarring. I I, I can't believe that like the language in yeah. the scene and how awful it is. But to put that to one side, watching these two together is incredible. I used to watch this scene isolated when mm. I had this on video. I watched this scene a lot because, as you say, the the, the racial language is problematic, but the acting uh, is monumental. There's Getting... a bit where he moves his head, where Walker moves his head. He's watching him to try and work out if Dennis Hopper's lying. And he moves his head to the side like a fucking bird of prey. It's like an mm. owl. It's incredible and so scary. It's two true heavyweights going at it. Mm. And it really means something because, yes, I'm, and I mean, there is a reason for the language being that racist. Yeah. You know, he he knows that he's going to be tortured and he wants to speed it up and, and, and force Carcotti's hand to kill him. And mm. so he uses uh, language to upset him. And it's... I mean, it's it's ugly what he's saying, but and 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 also you've got the juxtaposition of the British Airways music playing in the background. What the music that plays that classical music? Yeah, uh, that's from the British Airways ad. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. So do you do you think so? He knows he's gonna. Does he know he's gonna be killed from the start? Because I get a bit confused. Because there's a bit where Walken walks him. And he, he sort of says something about the face uh, of the person. He says, I'm the Antichrist and I'm in a vendetta kind of mood. Tell the angels in heaven you've never seen evil so singularly personified as you did in the face of the man who killed you. He knows he's going to be killed. Right, so he so does. And so he's trying to get it over with because he also, they've made it clear that they're going to torture him. And they start torturing him. They cut his, they cut his hand. They pour gasoline on it. Mm. And so this is him pushing Carcotti to the edge to kill him. So he's, he's making Carcotti do something he doesn't want to do. Mm. Right, okay. Okay. There's a lot going on. Um, because also, you've got Hopper's delivery, but also, as you say, Walkins' reactions are just priceless. Mm. The laughter, when he's laughing, mm. they're both laughing at the same time. It's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> and, you've got, and, you've got, and you've also got the great Gandolfini standing behind him reacting as well. You can see it in his face. He's thinking, I've, he's thinking, I've never seen anyone talk to my boss like this. Well, also, you see in Gandolfini like that they have to do so little work later on. When, when Alabama walks into the hotel room and you see Gandolfini sitting there, you, you, you've not, you don't have to so, tell mm. anyone that he is a... Fucking sadist who is going to love killing her because of those, like, there's three shots of his face standing behind Hopper when mm. he knows Hopper's about to, like, he's either asked, he's going to be asked to torture him or mm. he's going to die. And the glee in his mm. eyes, you're like, that's all you need. In that face, you're like, this guy's a fucking psychopath. Considering by all accounts, Gandolfini's really, was a really sweet man. Mm. He, when he smiles, he <laughs> can do the smiling malevolence like nobody. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, he's so ter- terrifying in this scene. Um, the only other thing that's terrifying in the Hopper performance uh, is uh, where Alabama gives him a really big kiss on his lips. It's sort of just a, quite an odd moment. Mm. It's sort of, I, I just, uncomfortable. It just sort of like you see, it undermines. If it was for the line, oh, she does taste the peaches, the kid was right. 
it's not worth it to sort of no, like upset the balance of creepy. like yeah because it's and it makes her more like someone who doesn't value the sort of father son relationship the sanctity of their her relationship kind of it's just a very strange moment very strange moment um uh, phones i've got phone box sex written down which is nice yeah that's it, it looks like they're really doing it it, it does it's very it's a very sexy phone box um i mean they're exposed, but you know, they uh, they can do what they want. I'm not I'm not judging them. Uh, sounds like I am. Right, moving on to my next section is called Brad Pitt's Pit. <laughs> uh, Brad Pitt plays Floyd. He's on the sofa. He is such a great character. Um, uh, by all accounts, as well with him, I think basically playing himself. From everything I've heard about Brad Pitt, yeah. this is how he lives his life. Yeah. I think that's the best way to put it without getting ourselves into trouble. Yeah, it's legal. It's legal in America. It's oh, all good. Yeah. It's oh, all good. Oh, yeah. Well, in LA anyway. He loves it. Uh, and we meet a bit, we get a bit more of Dick Ritchie and he's setting up a deal uh, to sell. It's never really clear how much the Coke is worth. Uh, they're going to sell it for 200000 It's mentioned around £500,000 yep. worth. But then later on, because it's so pure, someone else sort of puts it closer to a million. But it's a lot of coke. Well, they never asked for more than 200000 So uh, this is a good deal uh, for anyone interested. And that person might be Lee Donowitz, a film producer of Coming Home in a Body Bag, uh, who's having his deal set up by his assistant, Elliot Blitzer, uh, who is just wonderful. Uh, I've called this section putting on the Blitz. And it's play, he's played by a guy called Bronson Pinchot, uh, who I don't really know. For, the only other movie that I really know him from, I know he's done a lot, but the movie that I think I first discovered him in was the Stephen King movie. It was a TV movie, The Langoliers. Right. Where the monsters that eat yesterday. Yeah, no, I'm aware of it. Yeah. I feel like you'd know him from Beverly Hills Cop as well. Oh, yes. He's... Quite he's, camp character. Is it Serge? Yeah. I can't remember. Yes, yeah. Yes. But he's he's most famous yes. for a, sh- a show that's become a bit of a cult show called Perfect Strangers, where he played like an Eastern European um, guy living in New York called Balky. So okay. he, and he did this very exaggerated um, Eastern European accent. And it was it was one of those sitcoms, 80s sitcoms that was so bad, it was almost good. Like two broke girls now. <laughs> yeah. Right. No. Okay. <laughs> um Anyway, he's uh, he's good. Do you know, only because you always bring this up about Short Circuit, but he was briefly cast in the Fisher Stevens role in oh, Short Circuit. Right. Fisher Stevens left and then he came in and then uh, thankfully uh, wasn't forced to perform uh, as an Asian man, as Fisher Stevens uh, was. I, I say forced. I don't know. Uh, paid. <laughs> Uh, interesting thing about Brad Pitt's character is Judd Apatow says that Brad Pitt's character Floyd was the inspiration for Pineapple Express. Uh, they, yeah. They it, thought it would be funny to do uh, that character leaving and being chased by bad guys. Yeah, the, the, the idea was what if Floyd went after those gangsters that were in his apartment? <laughs> yeah. Um, little connections, Lee Donowitz, the producer who you've mentioned. Um, oh, uh, Eli Roth's character in Inglorious Bastards. Is his granddad. Is his granddad? Yes. Oh, it's official. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. I read they said there must be a connection. I didn't know that's no, his granddad. I believe, I believe that is uh, on the record. Yeah. He's great as well. Yeah, this this has got a deep bench, this film. Like, every role... Is, this is Tarantino, I guess. That's what, that's what his writing does. But everyone has something good to do, and they've cast them all so brilliantly, and everyone takes their shot as mm. well. I agree. I agree. Um, then... 
I got a bit bored for the first time in this movie around at this point. After they take Elliot on the roller coaster, he doesn't like it. He throws up. There's a, a, a conversation on the phone box where Elliot puts Clarence on to Lee Donowitz and it's all done in code about this cocaine mm. deal. And it's like the Dr. Zhivago, uh, you know, this is the Dr. Zhivago. You want Dr. Zhivago and all of this? It just goes on a bit long and it's not clear why... Clarence is avoiding, like, Elliot hearing and they're walking around this fun box. I found that bit a bit long. For the first time in a movie that is very talky, that was a bit too much talk. Yeah, agreed. Um, you just went past the rollercoaster scene, though, but I, uh, the Michael Rappaport in that scene, did mm. you notice his face? Um, he's either crying or really happy, and that's because they had to shoot it a couple of times. He had real problems doing it, so they sedated him with quaaludes while he's on that roller coaster. Why did he have problems doing it? He, gets... he was frightened. He, 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 didn't, he didn't like roller coasters. And apparently they were on that roller coaster all day for like two days. <laughs> and so he said, I'm dr- I was drugged out of my mind, which is why I look a bit strange. Uh, I, I was drugged out of my mind and some scenes show me crying because I honestly thought I was going to crap. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you notice uh, what movie Floyd was watching on the TV? I believe it might have been a former clash. <laughs> it certainly was. It was uh, the Mick Jagger, Anthony Hopkins, Emilio Estevez masterpiece, Three Jack. Which, what would we pair that with? Uh, <laughs> we paired, but you know, those are the heady days of last year. We we're finding it, our feet. We, we paired it with Labyrinth. Labyrinth. Labyrinth, Labyrinth. and Three Jack, because they were both in the video <laughs> for Dancing in the Street. Um, talking about Lee Donowitz, though, Saul Rubinick um, didn't realise that he was doing an impression of uh, Joel Silver. It's based on Joel Silver, the character. Um, Tony Scott had had a pretty unpleasant experience with Joel Silver mm. on Last Boy Scout. Mm. So to get a bit of uh, revenge, he basically made Saul Rubinick play Saul Joel Silver without telling him. And then uh, Scott said that Joel didn't talk to me for quite a while after that. <laughs> uh we uh, get uh, one of my favourite Brad Pitt lines. Don't know whether it was improvised. <laughs> don't know whether it was in the script, but it's when James Gandolfini is basically uh, looking into the hovel that Brad Pitt lives in. And uh, he goes, you live here? And Brad Pitt, with so much pride, goes, yes, I do. <laughs> it's wonderful. <laughs> um, and then when he walks off, he goes, don't condescend me, man. I'll fucking kill you, man. <laughs> That's the one I thought you were going to say. <laughs> uh, then we get really scary Gandolfini, mm. uh, which is a really scary, horrible scene in the movie. It's brilliant, but it's nasty where he and beats con- her up. Controversial. I mean, this is something that comes back time and time again with Tarantino. It's not just the language and the use of the N-word. It's sort of violence against women. Mm. And I haven't got a problem with it per se, I think it makes sense in the context of the film, but it does go on for a long time. Yeah, but then, you know, when she finally uh, kills him, it is a bigger release. It's very satisfying. It is. <laughs> it really is. Uh, she kills him with force and fire and steel and bullets and shower gel. Mm. Um, did you read about how she got into the right frame of mind for that scene? Because it's that's again, it's from the Maxim article, and that's what I'm particularly talking about. Hasn't dated well the, the quote. Uh, I, I don't have the quote, but is this about uh, her not being able to sort of get to grips with the emotion of the scene and how Tony Scott helped her? My, yeah, she said, "My mind wasn't where I wanted it to be." So Tony said, "Do you want me to help you?" I said, "Yes," and he smacked me in the face. I was shocked. I started crying. And then Tony Scott says, when she couldn't get herself there emotionally, Patricia used to call my right hand the persuader. Jesus She'd Christ. say, bring on the persuader, and I'd have to slap her. She'd say, hit me harder. I'd stand there on the set giving Patricia right-handers. Um, 
that does not happen a lot with me and actors. Yeah. Probably doesn't happen anymore with actors anywhere. I don't imagine no. that happens. It's no. It's the 90s. Uncom- it's uncomfortable. Wow. Um, do you know when uh, she is uh, being beaten up by James Gandolfini and, as it turns out, Tony Scott? Um <laughs> The guy at the newsstand, the hamburger stand, is reading Newsweek. Uh, did you recognise him? Uh, you know what? I did, and I looked him up, but I couldn't figure out where I really knew him from. He is the uh, psycho captain that isn't Tony Todd from The Rock. Ah. Yeah. Very good. He's got quite a memorable face. Really, yeah. Mm. And the same hair. Uh, so, uh, cracking on. We have uh, the introduction of a new character, James Gandolfini Exit, uh, but we get Sizemore and Penn, who are fucking marvellous as cops. <laughs> the last cops you ever want to come face to face with. Horrible. Horrible yeah. men, corrupt, idiots. Yep, yep. Scary. Uh, uh, say fucking A a lot, uh, and they, they, want, they want the bust, and they have no qualms about setting Elliot up uh, and him potentially dying, which is how you know that if they die at the end, it's fine because they're horrible cops who won't let uh, who won't look after Elliot at all. Um, and then um, we get this wonderful setup of so many disparate groups coming because the mafia have turned up. We've got uh, Lee Donowitz's private security clearances there. There's the wire on Elliot. Dick Ritchie's there for moral support, I guess. Um, there's the cops listening in in the next room who are going to burst in. So you've got all these mm. things coming together at the 13-minute-to-go mark where for the final shootout. Did we come down to a conclusion on what you call a standoff? Was it Chinese or Mexican standoff? <laughs> Which one this one is? I don't know. Um, I did find that this scene, although it's funny hearing what the cops are saying, I felt like every time we cut back to them... It did drain the tension out of the sequence that I feel like if we were just in the room with the guns all pointed at each other, I feel like that scene would be a bit more exciting. What do you mean? Um, we, we, see, we keep cutting back to the cops reacting to what's happening in the room rather than staying in the room and watching it all unfold. Okay. You mean before they've burst through the yeah, door? Yeah. All right, okay. And, when... and while they're in the room, they, we cut back to them, don't we? They're, they're like talking to the... They're in the room at that point though, aren't they? Sorry, they, yeah. So, all right. When sorry, when he's in the lift, then when right, he's right, in the right. Lift yeah, with Elliot, yeah, yeah. Which is a really upsetting scene, and I'm going to talk about that, but not mm. right now, okay? Um, because sorry. no, 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 it's fine. We haven't gone too early. Uh, we do get a, a, probably one of the most hilarious and subtle uh, sequel uh, jokes: the idea that coming home in a body bag. Uh, the sequel is going to. Uh, not just be called Body Bags, which is funny in itself. The sequel's going to be called Body Bags 2. <laughs> just the most ridiculous title. Uh, um, I love that. Uh, then uh, everyone dies at the end. Uh, not quite. Uh, Boris and Monty. Uh, 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 well, I forgot his name. Leo. Uh, Leo is a film producer. Leo. Leo. Yeah, Leo. Yeah. Uh, his bodyguard. Lee Donowitz. Lee Donowitz. Sorry, Lee Donowitz. Uh, his bodyguards, uh, Monty uh, and Boris, uh, are just uh, bruising for a fight and they've got the best guns in the room. I'm really pleased Dick Ritchie gets away. He, he runs out yeah, he does. scared. And I'm ple- I wouldn't have liked to have seen him die. No. It would have been... It, this film teeters on the very edge of being horrible. Uh, and Mean-spirited. I, yeah. And it gets away with it. Although it doesn't, which we'll get to 
in a moment. Uh, we have a brilliant shootout. What do you think of the shootout? It, uh, you say Tony Scott can't doesn't always do the best action. I think there's some beautiful images here. I think the cop who gets shot in the stomach at the very end when he sits down and the mm. pillows burst and he's just covered in feathers on the sofa. There's something so beautiful about that image mm-hmm. and, and tragic, but re- it looks really, really, really cool. Um uh, and then this is where Clarence would have died uh, yeah. in the original uh, when he gets uh, shot uh, by Chris Penn. A bullet ricochets and kills him. Uh, but as it turns out, uh, and if he died, it like Quentin Tarantino himself has said, it works much better. I'm happy he lives. His original ending, Alabama became a widow and then he intended Alabama to turn to crime and join with Mr. White from Reservoir Dogs. And he, in Reservoir Dogs, there is a flashback scene where Mr. White is asked about Alabama. Ah. Um, and does he say? What did, did you, do you know? What he says? I'm no, it's, it's just a reference to her. It doesn't actually um, talk about this story. But yeah, he, Tarantino said he tried to convince Tony to let Clarence die because that's what I wrote, and it wasn't open for conjecture. He said I made this big dramatic plea, said, and told him he was losing his balls. <laughs> You're trying to make it Hollywood shit. Why are you doing this? He listened to the whole thing and then convinced me 100 percent that he wasn't doing it for commercial reasons. And Scott said, I just fell in love with these two characters and didn't want to see them die. And Tarantino said, when I watched the movie, I realised that uh, Tony was right. He always saw this as a fairy tale love story. And in that capacity, it works magnificently. But in my world, Clarence is dead and Alabama is on her own. If she ever shows up in another one of my scripts, Clarence will be dead. Really? I thought he was kind of cool with it in the end. Yeah. No, he said that. He said it works for this movie. Right. Um, Yeah. And then we're on the beach. And uh, then we're on the beach uh, with uh, Patricia Arquette's real son playing Elvis. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's it. That's the end. The beautiful end of the movie. Um, and, yeah, we're done. Uh, but, that, yeah, again, that ending, that almost too-good-to-be-true ending, again, makes me think this is in Clarence's head. Uh, no, I'm not by... I'm not Sorry. by... Why, why are you doing this? <laughs> this is... No, it's not in his head. You'd have... What, I mean, like... Uh, is he waking up on a hospital bed somewhere and actually he got he died in the fight with Drexel who was in a coma. He's been in a coma since then. How many people recover from getting shot in the eye? I, don't, I think it glanced him. Okay. I don't. I think I know he's wearing an eye patch, but I think he's just at the end. I don't know why. Fashion. Big, yeah. It's fashion. It's, a it's not connected. He's with on the... a beach. He's playing pirates with his kid Elvis. Yeah. Fair enough. All right then. Any more for any more? No. Bosh, let's do the bits. Uh, so, uh, what is your best scene in this movie, Christopher? I'm really sorry to have to say it, but it's that scene. It's the, it's the Hopper, Hopper walking walk scene yeah. um, that I used to watch. I could I basically knew it off by heart. And it's, it's brilliantly written and it's brilliantly acted. Mm. But, you know, with the proviso that it is not great. Yeah, uh, it's in the payoff. Uh, as well. I haven't killed anybody since 1984. God damn his soul to burn for eternity in fucking hell for making me get my hands dirty. Love it. Love it. Uh, yeah, mine's the same scene. Yeah. I mean, you know, you take out some of the ugliness. Uh, just watching those two go to toe, toe to toe is great. Uh, either that or I love the shootout at the end. I really do. It's such a f- release after this ratcheting up of tension over and like, and it's done. It's great. It's great. Cause it's a tense film. I forget Forget just how tense this movie is. Um, all right, MVW. Tough, because uh, I think it should be an actor in this one. And as I said, I feel like there's this deep bench with Gary Oldburn or Christopher Walken or Brad Pitt or Saul Rubinek or Bronson Pinchot. But um, we talked about it already, and I've said my reasons. Dennis Hopper. 
Okay. Um, uh, he loves his dog and he loves his son and he just exudes humanity. Um, and that's what makes that scene so upsetting that mm. I picked. So I'm going with Hopper. All right. Uh, yeah, it's weird because I wrote down impossible uh, for this. Uh, I wrote down it's either Hopper or Pitt or Gandolfini or Walken or the one thing we haven't mentioned... Come on. No, because it's a rip-off. I know, but it's the only one I know. I've not seen Badlands. Yeah, it's... it's. I was, started, I was trying to count how many times they used this music in the film when I gave up after about seven. But it is so similar to the Badlands music, and it's used in such a similar way that I don't think you can give it to... I couldn't give it to it, but you can. I'm not giving it to it, actually. Good. I just wanted to give it a, a, a proper mention. Quite right. Hans Zimmer. It makes it makes me cry. It's great music. It's just it not entirely cry. original. It makes me cry. I don't mind. What, what's original anymore, Chris? I love it. It makes me cry. Right. Uh, I'm giving it to an actor, so you'll be happy with that. Um, my actor is Gary Oldman as Drexel. Uh, so little screen time. So horribly, horribly memorable. I think, you know, I agree that Hopper's brilliant, and I think the scene he's in brilliant, but... But, you know, for the amount of screen time and the amount of words, uh, he's just so hideous in so many different ways. The violence, the like the, the way the way he refers to women, the way he refers the, to the appearance. Yeah. And also what he wears, like that, that the pants, the the silk boxes and the, the, the leopard print like silk gown, the dressing gown. And he also we talked about this on the Joker episodes uh, when we mentioned the way Jack Plants dies in Batman the movie and it's a similar thing like it's such an you just do know what do I mean not only getting shot in the penis but the fact that he dies in his pants and dressing gown I never want to die in my dressing gown undignified it's awful I want to be in a suit I want to be like dressed really well if if I got shot in the balls oh, I'd still want to be in a suit so Gary Oldman's mind what would you change um, there's lots of bits and pieces I think you could change to make this film a less uncomfortable watch uh, but, you know, we've we've touched on them. I would like them to have got permission to use Elvis's likeness and songs in the film. I like Elvis as much as Quentin does, as much as Clarence does. And I think it would have been fun to get Kilmer uh, doing that properly rather than having to play an out of focus version of him who they have to call mentor in the credits rather than Elvis. <sighs> and have an Elvis song at the start of the film rather than someone singing about Graceland. Mm. Okay. Okay, that didn't bother me too much, but... Well, that's mine, not yours. Yeah, so. no, I know, but what I mean is I didn't know. Uh, that's why I didn't, I didn't know. that. Was there ever a plan? Did they actually... When Kilmer... That's what I mean, because at the start, um, when, you know, when Kilmer was, like, looking to play Clarence and they went, no, 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 you can play the Elvis thing, did Kilmer think he was actually going to be seen as Elvis? I don't know, but the fact that they tried to... They, they, were, they were turned down for permission suggests that there was more of them. You know, it was a bit more Elvisy. Hmm. Okay, uh, my change, and this is what I said when the film doesn't quite escape its mean spiritedness. Uh, there's one person who dies who just shouldn't die, and I know he's an asshole, but the way the film sets him up is no different to the way it sets up Dick Ritchie in terms of he is a loser and a lovable loser, and it's Elliot, mm -hmm. Elliot Blitzer. I think he should live at the end. I don't think he should die. I know he's a bit of a worm, and I know that he is like, you know, it's sort of, you know, he's got a bag of cocaine in a car like and like um, i guess with a call girl whose name he can't remember not a whore a call <laughs> girl 
Um, so I guess that you're sort of like, but it's it's the combination of him throwing up on the roller coaster makes him really like innocent. It's the question of he just really wants to impress his boss, and it's the bit where he starts crying in the lift uh, when Clarence has the gun pointed at him, and he's like, he "Just want someone to come and take me away from all this." And I'm like, "Yeah, I know he's trying to get the cops to come and rescue him, but." You take you just seeing this man broken down and like he's losing his mind at the end and he doesn't want to do it and he's only doing it because like the cops that have like said how horrible his life's going to be in jail if he doesn't do it so he's doing it under duress and then he fucking dies and I'm just like no Elliot should live you have got a heart right uh, I I disagree I think he's a creep and deserves it <laughs> <laughs> why because because of the you know exactly who he is and he's not a good person. All right, maybe maybe I'm wrong. Right then, no quiz this week because that would be weird. You just asking me questions. Uh, so uh, we are doing well, for the forevermore rating of Quentin Tarantino's ten movies in order. Nine movies. Are you putting Kill Bill as one film? Yes. Okay. And Death Proof one film. Yeah. 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 What do you mean Death Proof one movie? Well, yeah. As in a separate movie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah okay. Well, I'll, have to, I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll move where my Kill Bill is then. My Kill Bill Volume 2 is. But that's fine. We can still do it. So, at 10, what have you got, Christopher? At 9, I have got... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Jack, fine, fine. Jackie fine. Brown. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. I mean, I love Jackie Brown, but there's a lot of competition here, and it's not but one I really revisit. You're putting Jackie Brown below Death Proof. Because mm-hmm. that's my number nine. Death Proof is my number nine. I, I mean, I, I sh- it should probably be number nine. <laughs> that's weird. <laughs> I should probably put Death Proof know, at number nine. It's too late. You've done it now. Yep. You've said forevermore that Death Fine. Proof is better than Jackie Brown. That's a... Uh, okay, let's do our number eights. Uh, what did you put? In? Oh, yeah, uh, number eight, Death Proof. <laughs> okay, Jackie Brown. Okay. <laughs> it's weird because some people talk about Jackie Brown with this reverence that it's like, actually, it, people haven't understood it. You need to revisit it. I've I've watched it twice and I've hate I've not hated it but I've just really not enjoyed it. I find it very slow and a, a difficult film to get through. Mm. No, I, 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 it's not one I've, I want to revisit. Maybe when I'm an old man, I will watch it and get it. But I think there's better Quentin Tarantino films. Fine, fine, fine. Uh, seven, then go. I have gone for former Clash Pod film, The, the Hateful, Hateful Eight. Eight. So have I. This is so weird. If we have all the same, it's good. we haven't because I know your number one of mine is, is different. Uh, the Hateful Eight, yeah. Do you know my number one? I know it's not what mine is. Okay. Uh, yeah, but it's good. It's good. I, I actually like The Hateful Eight even more since we've done it because analysing it, it was a much better film than I really realised mm. going deep and... I still maybe should have shouldn't have picked it over the thing that week. Did you pick it over the thing? I forgot. I did. That. Yeah, yeah. See, I just blocked that kind of shit out because it's <laughs> so upsetting. But I kept finding all these holes and issues with the thing, and the hateful eight just was so perfectly constructed. The thing is, the thing is, the thing is, the thing. All right. Uh, so, who's, what's your number six? My number six is Django Unchained. Ooh. Yeah. What's yours? I've gone Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Right. Um, but that could go up. You know, I think these films go up and down. The older I get, the more I watch them. Mm. You know, and I'm, I know I'll come back to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm. Um, I've watched it twice now. Okay. I, and I can see myself watching it again and again and again. So, but at the moment, it's my number six. Yeah. I mean, I sort of struggled around 
this peer, this this is part of the chart. There's the, the next two could be in uh, position number six as well. I'm not really. There's a sort of there's a middle group here that are interchangeable. Agreed. But yeah, I Agreed. went Django. Uh, what have you got for five? Inglorious bastards. Uh, yes, I have Inglorious Bastards as well. I'll put an asterisk there though, because I've only seen Inglorious Bastards in its entirety once, and okay. that one is, that was at the world premiere in Cannes. Mm. And I believe the version I saw is actually different to what was released. Oh he, shit! He, he did. So he did. He made some changes, and so I, I haven't seen the version that everyone else has seen. So I do need to revisit that. Um, but yeah, uh, what, what did you have? Number five. The same. Oh yeah, okay. I had the same Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was in. Uh, I worked at the premiere of that in Berlin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Berlin. My first time to Berlin. They had the. I think it was the world premiere there, which was great. Except that we were all standing in a a, a corridor and uh, to wait to interview Brad Pitt and his people, or not his people. Some people were just, you know, when you just like you're making this look bad. You're making him look bad because mm. he would not have minded. I can't imagine. He seems like a cool guy. I can't imagine he had a problem with us waiting in the corridor against a wall while he walked into the room. And instead they went, everyone get in that room there and herded it into a room so he could walk into his room. And you're like, oh, come on, come on. That's just, this is bad. Come on, Brad Pitt's people. Yeah. Uh, what's your number four? Uh, my number four is Reservoir Dogs. I've gone Django Unchained. Okay. Mm. So we're, our three interchangeable sort of middle sort of range ones are all the same. Yeah. And and they uh, we both agreed they are interchangeable. Like it was tricky doing this. Mm. Uh, number three? Uh, number three is... Wait, are we on number three now? Yeah, number three. Okay. Kill Bill. Kill Bill. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it might have had a chance at being higher if it was like a, a, two, a one, two and a half hour movie, I think, rather than two 90 minute movies. Mm. I feel like cut a bit out, have it one long film, and I think it would be a masterpiece. But there's just bits where it, you know, it drags in both of them. Oh, I don't think so. One is, one I, ha- I, I, I could watch over and over again. Two, there's, yeah, there's bits in two, mm. especially towards the end. And I've never got over the, the Superman speech that. Um, Mm. Uh, David mm. I'm not a huge fan of the animated sequence. Oh, I like I just, that. I just think it goes on too long. I like um, that. But okay. yeah, so we both got issues with Kill Bill, and yet we both put it number three. Yeah, I mean the Daryl Hannah eye removal uh, bit where she loses her second eye. Yeah. it's just it's stayed with me for so long. When it's good, it's unbelievable. It's so good. horrible, so horrible, but brilliant. Okay, two. My number two is Reservoir Dogs. All right. Uh just just memories of watching it for the first time i it, it didn't come out on video in england for a long time because of the controversy around the the ear severing scene in the bbfc uh we'll talk about them a little bit on the next episode so i said to my dad can will you take me to the cinema to see this because mm. i'll get in i was 15 i think i'll get in if you take me uh but we're going to watch this very violent film so are you cool with that and he said if you think I'm going to like it, let's do it. And so, and he loved it. He loved it as much as I did. So that's just a really good memory. Yeah. I remember, I remember everyone talking in the, in the playground. It's like people talking about this ear scene. This ear scene was like every, mm. the only thing people were talking about. And then obviously, you know, the soundtrack. I have a lot of fond memories of Reservoir Dogs. And it's, it, was like a, it was like a bomb going off in mm. the film industry. Yeah. It really was. And I haven't watched it in a long time, but... Um, uh, my missus hasn't seen many of Tarantino's films and we've been slowly working through them so I'm definitely going to do that one next well my number two is Pulp Fiction excellent mm. which means that your number one is 
Pulp Fiction. Right, yeah, okay. Um, even though there is a character and a scene I absolutely hate in Pulp Fiction. Wait, let me, let me try and work it out. Not a major character, but um, it completely spoils the film for me, but everything else is... Zed? No, uh, it's, um, it's, it's um, what's his name? What's, what's Bruce Willis's name? Butch. But it's Butch's girlfriend. Oh. I can't stand the stuff she says. I can't stand the way she talks. Um, not her accent, just the, the, whine, the, the whiny performance she gives. Oh. And I just wish that scene was just gone. Oh, yeah. um, but everything else around it is so brilliant. And I did revisit that um, a few months ago. And it's just, it's just a masterpiece. Yeah, it's my number two because uh, yeah, it just it, it's my number one Quentin Tarantino script because uh, of like the structure and the dialogue, and it's the most quote. I think it's the most quotable Quentin Tarantino movie, mm-hmm. uh, and the soundtrack and everything. But... So your number one is Once Upon a Time. In yeah, Hollywood. bloody is. Wow, Rest, suck on that. Yeah, I love that movie. I think it's. I think it's the movie for me right now. I think it's my number one because of all the movies that he's made. I just feel that it, I'm now the right age to watch that film. Mm. Like he, uh, so what I'm saying is, a film of his has come out that I'm the perfect age to watch mm. um, in terms of like really just understanding like it and Leonardo DiCaprio's character. How do you feel about um, uh, the, uh, the Bruce Lee character in the film? Uh, that doesn't sit right with me. I know some, you know, there's there's two schools of thought on it. But it, I've watching it the second time. I was like, I was a bit uncomfortable watching Bruce Lee be an ass. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I know there's the whole story about it was his daughter who's uh, mm. very unhappy with how he was portrayed. It it, it, it didn't bother me. No, nah, fair enough. It didn't bother me. I'm not the biggest Bruce Lee fan. Like, as in, like, you know, I, I don't. His work doesn't mean as much to me as it does to some people. But no, I just, I just love that film. I mm-hmm. think it's just, it's so good. It gives me goosebumps thinking about that film. And uh, anything that allows you to rewrite history, I'm, I'm happy with because that's kind of what I do with my own life all the time. <laughs> right then. We want people uh, to send us theirs, though. So um, tweet us with your uh, nine favourite um, Tarantino movies in the order of your choosing and tell us where we've gone wrong. Yeah. I mean, I have a field day with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood being number one because I kind of feel people might not be happy about that. But, hey, this is my list. It's my call. Exactly. Right then. And that is us done. Come back on Thursday when we will be talking through Natural Born Killers. It's been a pleasure having your company. Uh, do subscribe to us and indeed rate and review us uh, wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify or other. And if you want to get in touch, we are at ClashPod on Twitter and it's show at ClashPod.com on email if you want to be slightly more verbose. Back on Thursday. Bye-bye. Before we go, what? you're going to give a clue. Oh, man, that was my big out. I know, but I didn't I didn't know whether you were going to oh, do yeah. it or not. Yeah, all right. You need to give me... We need a new hand signal or something because I can never tell. The clue for next week's movies on ClashPod is... You're all right, Woody. You're burning up. Again, the clue for next week's pairing... On ClashPod, two movies linked by this one clue. Are you all right, Woody? You're burning up. All right, back on Thursday. Bye-bye. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network. 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.